0: Welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco's Sunday Morning Worship Service Podcast. For more information or downloads of previous audio services, go to UUSF.org.
1: Biblical references are frequently useful. Last week, we talked about the holy remnant. This week, I was thinking maybe we should talk about Exodus. Some of us retreated to our domestic monasteries. One elongated snow day but without the snow and some deep uncertainty and worry swirling around us instead. And for once, perhaps for decades, we are gathering and going to continue to gather, not in one place, but spread around, connected by our technological possibilities. Some of you have already sent us ideas about how we can be together in new and different ways, and so please continue to send those, ways we can stay connected in these times. That will be important, and we'll start looking at those in earnest this week as some of the other questions have already settled themselves. If you're connecting via live stream, welcome. If this is your first time, a special welcome via live stream. You might notice and you can get yourself familiar over the weeks to come that underneath are some links some links to a virtual coffee hour that we're going to be experimenting with this week thanks to some of our lay leaders an opportunity to give online during the offering and later if you go back to our website the church website to the worship section where we also invite you and in another way to link into the live stream, you'll see a possibility of downloading the order of service so you can follow with us on Sunday. So welcome. This week, among us is John Burent, who asked who I asked to preach this day when I thought I would be in Rochester preaching at our former intern Sherry's installation, but that got canceled, but I didn't let John off the hook. Instead, I thought it would be a chance for me to do what I did for years as a young adult, which is to sit at his feet and listen to him preach and to take it all in, which I loved and I look forward to again today, and I'm grateful for him being here. I'm also thankful to the choir, Fearless and Stubborn Too, and the Bell Choir, who are here spread at a healthy distance from one another, singing for us and with us today. For Richard Davis Lowell, who's come to reflect and help lead worship. To Joe Dellert, who with his wife, Nancy Buffum, is leading our annual giving campaign. To Lori Lai, a member of our board, who's going to lead us in our brief announcements, which are different and not so brief this morning. To Eric Shackelford and Shuli, who are running our cameras today. For all of the people who are allowing us to do this worship together. So, I wanted to light a candle this morning, a candle for all of us, wherever we are, knowing that our light and warmth and presence is still here, still burning bright, a symbol of the togetherness that holds us and the reunion that will come in time. And as John's wife, Gwen, is fond of saying, consider yourselves hugged.
0: lighting found in your bulletin. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together.
2: Hello, my name is Lori Lai, and I'm the treasurer of the Board of Trustees. We have been hosting a live stream worship all year, but welcome the first of our live stream only worship services as we work to participate with our city and fellow citizens to slow down the spread of the COVID-19 virus. We have created on our website a bright red COVID-19 link on the home page where it is easy to find. This is where you can find the latest updates of our congregation's decisions, opportunities to connect. Those who are members will also get emails with most updates. Check there first if you have questions. But if you cannot get those answered, our staff will be also working, though increasingly and some entirely remotely. If you call the church, those calls will go to voicemail. But leave a message, and we will return your call. You can find emergency links to our chaplains there and in our directories, ways to connect staff and one another. Be patient as we adjust to uh, the ever-changing new normal. And please send ideas to Vanessa and Allison about new ways we could do programming and support one another in those, in these for a lifetime's unprecedented times. Given the city's rulings on all large gatherings and upcoming events, and all upcoming events have been canceled. All of those notices are on our website in that COVID-19 link. We will also expect that most other meetings at church will likely be canceled for the rest of the month and have to meet through phone or Zoom, and we can advise you how to do that. Email us if you have questions. And now, let's hear a quick announcement from Joe Dillard, who with his wife, Nancy Buffum, are heading up our annual pledge drive. Joe? Oh, woe is me. I have to run a pledge drive, and there's a pandemic. This is horrible. Oh, wow, are we. I just checked the numbers. 97 pledges, $330,000, and it's only halfway through. You guys are amazing. So we are doing it. They can try and keep us away, but we're together. So together we can keep this pledge going. I invite you to go to firstuusf.org and push the green button. It will let you pledge online, at home, safely. So please come pledge. Thank you.
1: Well, this is our normal time to greet one another. So we invite you to take a moment to greet the people who might be in your environment, including your cats and dogs. Wave to your neighbors. People at home, stretch. Tighten the belt on your robe and pajama shoes. We'll we'll greet each other briefly, and then the bell choir will pull us back.
3: Okay. I'm Kathleen Quinneville. I'm a member of the Bell Choir, and our director, Rayco Lane, has asked me to say a few words before we play. Um, you may have heard that about three weeks ago, uh, we had a break-in in the church, and all except one octave of the bells um, was stolen. Um, the value of those bells was $16,000. Um, so you may be wondering, why are we playing the bells today, and what are we going to be playing on? Um, So, Reiko did a um, a one-octave arrangement of Ode to Joy, so we're going to start with that, and then we are renting some bells, and this is only possible because Reiko knows everybody in the bell community, and so we are renting the bells for a short time, um, while our insurance claim is pending. Um, So we expect um, that um, we'll have some idea of what kind of money is going to be needed then to replace the bells, and are we going to be able to get a new set? Do we need to consider buying a used set? Um, So first we'll do Ode to Joy, and then we'll go into Finlandia with the rented bells. So thank you.
1: Thank you all. I want to invite us, those who are able to rise in body and spirit, we're going to say together our covenant and then we're going to sing our doxology. So let's say the words of our covenant together. Love is the spirit of this church and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in freedom and to help one another. Recognizing there is human suffering all over the world in the course of natural and human catastrophes, we ring our gong today in honor of two such places of suffering and struggle. We ring our gong as we have every week since July in honor of the seven children who lost their lives in federal custody in our detention camps. And we let that ringing symbolically stand for all those adults who have lost their lives in these camps and all who remain in them, many separated from their families and for those in makeshift refugee camps along the border awaiting asylum hearings now even more precariously concentrated together there than ever before. And This morning, we also ring our gong for other losses, those most on our minds this week. Those we lost to the virus we know by name now, rehearsed daily in the updates we read, the symptoms we memorize. As of Friday, worldwide, there were by official count, 4,613 deaths from COVID-19. And so we ring our gong once additionally this morning for these lives too. May we keep those we have named and their families in our thoughts and prayers. And may we ease the tide of human suffering this coming week, howsoever we can. Love we know by so many names. Love that defies reason, surprises us with its demands. Love that reaches far beyond the grave and into the womb also. Love that lets itself need, want, hope, hurt, forgive, demand. Love we know by so many names. Love who some call God. and who all of us embrace on its own terms because there is no option to do otherwise. This mysterious, tremendous gift, larger than and deepest within ourselves. Help us to stay connected to this deepest source of connection and sustenance to know love as that which holds us even before any human hands did. Love as something indestructible, not weakened by distance or time apart, love as that which we must send into this hurricane of unknowing, wrap around us in these days of vulnerability we feel in our bones. Knowing what it has always meant to be human, this dual reality that we live deeply vulnerable and called into a love beyond our imagining. It's this love we send out this morning in prayer on the wings of prayer and the meditations of our hearts that we send to all who are sick, who are afraid themselves or for their loved ones. That we send to all those who do not have access to health care and all the things that keep our bodies most resilient too. that we send to those healers who risk their own health to care for others who so desperately need them, that we send to all the officials and scientists and public health experts trying to guide nations through this chapter of our shared challenge, And that we send to those working in labs around the world by lamplight, some of them that they may find way open that defies luck or chance to create the vaccine that is most vital for those who are most vulnerable. And love we extend to one another in the days and weeks and months ahead. The love that will hold us and keep us strong. Love. And the blessing of resilient community and resilient bodies to us all. Amen.
0: So I'm running across Star King Way to the south of the church, St. Mark's over my corner, over my shoulder, and I sure hope that light at Gough is red. It really would have been a better idea to cross at the corner, but I'm committed now. I make it across just as I glimpse the traffic barreling towards me. Next to our building, I think, I sure hope that Unused side door is open, and I think it really shouldn't be. No one ever staffs that door, and just anyone could walk in. I reach out towards the time-worn modern brass handle, thinking they sure don't make them like that anymore, and I pull. The heavy door swings open, and I step inside, grateful. Inside, I'm reminded of my high school, a modern at the time, mixed of tile, concrete, exposed brick, brutalist, they call it. It's a tough but sophisticated aesthetic, best understood by what style it rebels against. But I don't have to look far for a perfect example of that. It's here, inside our achingly beautiful Soaring, classically styled sanctuary. UUSF's buildings represent two styles, brutalist and classical, joined together to create what we experience as sacred space. And then the door bangs noisily behind me, and I think someone should really fix that. And at the same time, I'm so grateful it was open for me. Then almost at the very same time, I think those doors probably cost over $1,000 each. They were put there to last, but not for 50 years. Two thoughts in that instant. So grateful those doors were built to last and that they're open for me. And who's going to fix them here today, now, and fix them so they last for another 50 years? Serving on the church's investment committee, I've learned that gifts made in the past continue to support us today. In the 1960s, when this campus was built, it cost a fraction of what it would cost to build today. The sisters whose legacy gifts powered the design, permitting, construction of our modern facilities couldn't know about the coming novel coronavirus, market crashes, unstable political leaders. All they could really know that was that there would be a need, period. Would they be surprised by the challenges we face? I don't think so. When the church was founded, the question was whether California would allow slavery. When the brutalist addition was conceived, would we survive a coming nuclear war, was the question. Just yesterday, AIDS looked to move beyond our LGBTQ community, then Ebola, today novel Corona, tomorrow fill in the blank. All we can be certain of is that tomorrow will come and that we can do today what we can do to prepare for it. It's ironic that I'm sharing these remarks on the day, perhaps for the first time in our history, that the congregation cannot worship together. Services are not canceled. We made preparations to share it in ways we could have never imagined when these buildings were built. So thinking about our pledge campaign, I'm grateful my husband Bill and I can be a small part of that preparation, our pledge, so small in comparison to what's been done before, joins with yours and yours and yours to prepare us for a future full of what we don't know for sure, but that we do know some of us will be around to experience. So whatever you connect with, our building, our ministers, our newly rebuilt organ, homeless or social justice ministries, Black Lives Matter. Join me as we prepare for the future we can only imagine, but will come. And with apologies to James Weldon and J. Rosalind Johnson, sing a song full of the faith that the dark past has taught us, full of the hope that the present has brought us. Facing the rising sun of this, our new day begun, we march on till victory is won.
1: This morning was going to be a beautiful poem by E. Cummings called I Am a Little Church, No Great Cathedral. But something came across our desks this week a reading by UU poet and Bay Area resident and minister Lynn Unger. It was written on the 11th of March. The title is Pandemic. What if you thought of it as the Jews consider Sabbath the most sacred of times? Cease from travel. Cease from buying, selling. Give up just for now on trying to make the world different than it is. Sing pray. Touch only those to whom you commit your life. Center down. And when your body has become still, reach out with your heart. Know that we are connected in ways that are terrifying and beautiful. You could hardly deny it now. Know that our lives are in one another's hands. Surely that has become clear. Do not reach out your hands. Reach out your heart. Reach out your words. Reach out all the tendrils of compassion that move invisibly where we cannot touch Promise this world your love for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, as long as we all shall live. Here ends our reading.
4: Last Sunday, Reverend Vanessa began worship by referring to those of us who were here in the church, doing elbow bumps or bowing to the holy in one another, in biblical terms, as a holy remnant. And today, the slice of the congregation present is smaller still. Blessings on the courageous choristers who allow our worship not to take place without song. And I especially thank Nancy Hardys, who this week sent many of us video clips of people in Italy, a country that she and I both love, now under quarantine, but going out on the balconies to sing to one another. As Vanessa and I both know, even in ordinary times, those of us who come in person to worship here are but a slice of the larger constituency we serve. The first time I stood in this pulpit was on the Sunday following 9-11, and there were a 1,000 people present. Technology had to be used to spread the message into those gathered in the King Rooms. Today it's used to try to reach as many as possible who know that worship keeps the spirit alive. In the middle of the 19th century, when infectious disease was rampant, one of Boston's leading physicians was Oliver Wendell Holmes, Sr., and he was asked why he faithfully attended worship at his Unitarian church every Sunday. His response was, There is within me a plant called reverence, and it needs watering at least once a week. We come here to renew a basic attitude of gratitude for simply the unmerited gift of being itself in all of its beauty and fragility. Our spiritual capacity for love, transcending even isolation. Our commitment to love manifesting itself in community as justice. Watching at home last week, and I hope today, are many who are wise to protect their health, the older part of our community, but also the parents with children like my own daughter, Who currently chairs the committee overseeing the spiritual growth programs for the young? You know, typically, that brutalist part of our building in a given week will host 3,000 people. And they too ought to be in our thoughts and prayers this morning, praying that we can soon return to welcoming and serving them all in all of their diversity, their artistic creativity their efforts for justice, and their spiritual deepening. It's now poignantly poetic that yesterday was Pi Day, 3.14 2020. We had hoped to have hundreds here after the service for a celebratory luncheon, right, Joe? Your idea. With due precautions taken, of course, sharing pies, The only cost being that of hearing what it takes to keep our worship, our community life, our hospitality for the whole city, our good work going, mostly through pie charts about where the money comes from and where it goes, all in the hope that you might feel moved to be just a bit more generous than you have been in the past and realize a bit more deeply how this institution grounds us all and is still needed in these perilous times. Well, that's not going to happen, except for a few of us who'll stay to have sort of a little symbolic pie together. So it falls to me to share a few highlights. The goal in that operating fund drive this year is at least $600,000, maybe better a little bit more than that. But that is only part of what it takes to keep this church and center going. That costs, friends, a million dollars more. Fortunately, those who share our building provide almost half of that. The other half comes from grants, special events, and, as Richard pointed out, earnings on gifts from the past. It now seems almost inevitable that in the year ahead those investments will be damaged some, that we will face some downturn in the economy. And so I hope we will do what we can to pay our staff that works so hard for us a fair wage and to meet our other commitments and to maintain this building, which its founders intended to weather many things, earthquakes and epidemics alike, and that we will avoid doing to our investments and those gifts from the past what farmers call eating the seed corn. I think I first heard that phrase when I was a teenager in a small town where many of my classmates lived on farms. And then when I went off to college on a scholarship, I spent my summers working with many of their dads on the ore boats on the Great Lakes, hauling iron ore and coal and limestone for industrial America. I had a good union job, United Mine Workers, and it paid so well that I got out of college debt-free. And while I loved being a deckhand on those summer days, especially on the first mate's watch, four to eight, hosing down the deck as the sun came up, greeting it with a reverence, and then painting until the sun went down in the evening. More often, I was in the galley of the ship where I learned how to bake and cut pies. The typical crew was 42. So how do you cut six pies into seven slices each? Well, the steward instructed me in the secret. You estimate a seventh. Cut straight across from the tip of that slice, and then divide the other two pieces in thirds. Ta-da. This week, As I watched the swoon of the stock market cutting into my retirement savings by at least a seventh or a sixth or a third, I recalled how a decade earlier, when I was still serving a church out east, I had the same feeling, and I went to the pulpit, my then congregations, and said, friends, I feel as though I now belong to the Preach Until You Drop School of Ministry. But I promise you this, I won't do it to you. They deserved a younger minister and found a brilliant young woman who then demonstrated faithful calm in the face of every emergency, just as our leader does for us. Yet I suspect that this year, some of our most generous donors may be among the most skittish until the markets bounce back, as they inevitably, I eventually will. And so, today, I address myself to those of you who make the smaller gifts. I'm now your church historian. My next book will be about the influence of this congregation on this city from 1850 to the present. The working title is A Religious Center with a Civic Circumference, because despite fires and panics and earthquakes and depressions, we here have faithfully upheld a vision of one humanity, one community, transcending differences in background and belief, and like my recent book about the transcendentalists, including our own Star King. It will focus on real people. A few famous, others forgotten, and how this church has played a role in twice cleaning out City Hall of corruption and installing reformers. Those Align sisters who gave us the money for the center, they were the grandchildren of Ephraim Burr, the mayor of this city who cleaned up things in the late 1850s. It will also focus on forgotten lay people who came here to recharge their spiritual energies and recheck their moral compass, and went on to influence others in ways we can hardly imagine. Let me name just one. Ida Shuchman Brown, who was a member here for 50 years from the 1920s until her death in 1974 at the age of 96, just before her grandson, Jerry Brown, first became the governor of this state, as his father, Pat, had been before him. I take this from a recent book called The Browns of California, The Family Dynasty That Transformed a State and Shaped a Nation by Miriam Pavel who tells us that Ida was the daughter of a pioneer California uh, family of German Protestants, who came here to the city as a young woman and fell in love with a dashing young Irish Catholic named Edmund G. Brown, who insisted that their children be raised in his faith, giving Ida the right to find a church of her own, however. As Pavel says, Quote, she auditioned religious leaders in visits to church services all around the city. In the end, she chose First Unitarian, an institution with a reputation for social justice and a storied past. When Ida joined the Unitarian Church, Dr. Caleb S.S. Dutton, known as Sam, was preaching inspired sermons in the lilting accents of his native Britain, He had come to San Francisco from Brooklyn, where he had helped to found the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. In his first sermon in San Francisco in 1913, he laid out his vision for this congregation, to identify ourselves with social causes wherever apparent and bring them to full, complete fruition in all just expression to stand for that complete democracy which is the demand of idealism, to fight as champions of the god of righteousness every form of oppression, economic, social, or political, and consecrate ourselves to that form of spiritual religion," Unquote. Friends, the vision hasn't changed. And as Pavel puts it, this was a vision Ida could embrace. One of her favorite quotes recited often to her family was that one, what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. For several years, she taught in our Sunday school, despite the fact that her own children were going to catechism elsewhere. I imagine her presiding over Sunday dinners where she asked her own children if what they were being told by the nuns and priests was entirely square with what Jesus himself had had in mind. She became the leading figure in teaching her son and grandson to start to try to dismantle a structure and culture of white supremacy. Because when Pat became the reformist district attorney of the city, the first thing he did was to dump many of the white Catholic prosecutors and find people of color to take their place. And then he did the same thing as attorney general of the state and as the first Democratic governor in decades. Mind you, my own daughter, who helps coordinate low-income health care in California today, wishes, as I do, that perhaps Ida had not passed on so much of her depression mentality to her grandson, leading him to support Prop 13 and resist reinvesting in the state's social services for the poor for so long. And still in the on forthcoming recession, I suspect that he was prudent to have built up a state rainy day fund which brings us back to our own congregational situation in this rather perilous time. We too, blessedly, have a rainy day fund in the form of those investments and endowments. They're from the gifts generously left to us by those who came before us. Over the years, the mission of this church has inspired members as unsung as Ida to leave us significant gifts, not just of time and energy, as she did, but of substantial invested funds. I think of the late Ed Sheffield, a teacher in the San Francisco schools. Ed was devastated when his wife died. He leaned heavily on our minister emerita, Margot Campbell Gross, for grief counseling. They had never had children. He later became a leader in our Saturday men's group. And then, just as I assumed this pulpit as senior minister, he went missing. He was nowhere to be found. And thanks to the health privacy laws, no institution would tell us whether they had him or not. And then J.D. Benson, our assistant minister then for pastoral care, brought the gift of her experience. She just wrote him a personal note at his last known address and got a reply from his court-appointed conservator. He had fallen into dementia and isolation, but blessedly we visited him, whether he knew it or not, before he died in nursing care because it lessened our guilt when he left us and two other charities over a million dollars each. He probably had no idea that his estate would be that large, but bless you, Ed. The gift and the love echo on. So I guess here's what I have to say today. We owe it to Ida not to minimize how wide the influence of this institution is even when there are few people present. And during her time in the Depression and World War II, attendance here was sometimes smaller than it is this morning. We'll still be here even after this period of closing the center and curtailing worship in the flesh has passed. The question is, as always, with what faith and what influential effect? There's a chance, if we are generous enough in this present moment of crisis, that we could again have an assistant minister for pastoral care and outreach. I happen to know the person under consideration whose gifts would add youth and other diversity to our ministry. And we would give the staff that cost-of-living increase that they surely deserve. Most recently, I made the last payment on the rather sacrificial gift of $50,000 that I took out of my savings for the capital campaign that we undertook to do some deferred maintenance on our buildings. And this year, since that commitment has relieved my budget to some degree, I've committed to give at least $10,000, a big chunk of my income, to support the ministries and annual operations of this congregation. There are roughly 15 others who will join me at that level or more. And when I first came here five years ago, there were only three. So the capacity for greater generosity is here among us. But this, as I say, is a time that requires gifts both great and small. Never imagine that giving $10 a week or a month or maybe just once does not matter. It does. As I've learned to giving to the college that gave me that scholarship that made me capable of writing books and having spiritual influence, my small gifts over the years, participation gifts, as fundraisers called them, helped to show alumni far wealthier than I that many, many cared, and then to strengthen and endow new programs and new outreach. It's hard saying all of this when I can't even see most of you. But if you're watching this online, I hope you really will go to the website and use that green button to pledge or make a donation, great or small, to sustain the future of the First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco. There are moments when we worship together, friends, when my heart just dissolves. All of its defenses drop, and I am overwhelmed with a sense of renewed love, not only for all of you and your faithfulness, but for the gift of life the unmerited beauty of being, the chance to keep going and caring, and helping to make this world a bit more like it was meant to be. So please know, wherever you are, that you are indeed loved. Though you may be in self-quarantine, you are not alone. You are spiritually and deeply and permanently connected through this remarkable place and its community. So may it be.
1: Amen. And now our offering will be given and received virtually. So thank you all who have made your pledges this year already. Those who haven't, we would encourage you to do that this week or even right now, you can go to that big green button. And also there are these exciting links for online giving that you can explore too. It's a whole new world for us all. But with gratitude for everything that we have been given and everything we have a chance to offer, in all the ways named, we give thanks. So you'll indulge John and I, we wanted to sing to close number 403 in your hymnal. It was a piece we sang as the offering was collected across the country in all souls where we both were present together seemed appropriate, this reach across our nation and across time and places that bind us. So let's rise and sing together 403, which some of you may know by heart from your childhood
5: too.
4: in our going, may that transcendent love, which spans all distances, which goes on beyond our knowing, may that love shine out also from within us and bless us and keep us. For even though these days are difficult, my friends, let us keep the voice of joy and worship and reverence deep in our hearts until we meet again. Go in peace. (laughs)
0: Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco Sunday Morning Worship Service. For more information or downloads of previous audio services, go to UUSF.org
4: The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information go to UUSF dot